clear, I want to read this, this whole paragraph. And so it's beginning in verse 17, though today we're just going to consider verse 20 through 24. Paul writes under the inspiration of the Spirit, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you all must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. We want to think about this passage this morning in this way, that Christians learn in the school of Christ to put away their former ways and to be transformed into the image of Jesus by putting on their new way of living. And so we want to think this morning about putting off our old ways and putting on new ways. So the purpose really of our time is to remind us that learning is the primary means that God uses to change lives. We want to think about how God renews our minds and then renews our lives. And so Paul outlines here four truths that Christians learn in the school of Christ. So I'm going to take that theme of the school of Christ. And like any good school, you've got to have curriculum, right? You got to, what are you going to learn? What are you going to teach? Uh, how are you going to teach it? And, and there's four truths that Christians learn in the school of Christ. First, you learn that it's all about Jesus. The first thing you learn in the school of Christ, uh, on the very first day of school, with your cute little backpack and your little lunch pail, is that it's all about Jesus. That it's all about Christ. The second thing we learn in the school of Christ is to abandon your old ways. Just like on the first day of school, uh, the teacher pulls out the rules, right? We got to get the rules right. And they're on the board, right? They're not the Ten Commandments. There's a lot. They're, they're deeper than that, right? No biting, kicking, screaming, right? No cutting in line, right? You got to stop acting like a fool before you come into the school of Christ. The third thing you learn in the school of Christ is to be transformed in your mind, not your heart. In other words, what we're after is a transformed mind, not just changed fickle hearts. Hearts will change as minds are informed. Fourthly, in the school of Christ, you learn to embrace your new ways in Christ. One of the easiest ways to illustrate that is that in certain schools, they make the kids all dress alike. It's so that their identity is not connected with the clothes they wear but the place they're in. And so as Christians, our identity is found in our new way of living, not our former way. So we're going to consider those four points this morning. Uh, so if you take notes, there's four points, and I hope to do each of them justice. Uh, but first, in verses 20 through 21, 
Paul says that the first thing we learn in the school of Christ is that it's all about Jesus. Notice what he writes there in verse 20. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him. Notice how Paul has shifted in his language. He was using plural pronoun they, and now he has kind of pointed the finger at them and says, you didn't learn Jesus that way. He is forcefully, emphatically, as you see the little exclamation point there in your text, uh, kind of pointing his finger and says, now you know better, that is not how you learned Jesus. Throughout the text, you'll see in these verses that the, the repeated words are words of, of kind of cognitive verbs. Notice them. Uh, notice the three verbs there. Uh, that's not how you learned Christ. Right? Learned, secondly, heard, and thirdly, taught. Paul here is using the words of a school. In school, you, you learn. You hear a, a lecture or a, a teacher teaching something. And, and then the word taught. You're taught in school, right? I know some of us kind of wonder, do our kids actually get taught in school? We're not, we're not quite sure what happens there, but, but they're being taught, right? Uh, we, we trust that in school, whether formally or informally, we are taught. We're taught. And Paul's point here is very clear. He employs this, employs this language to teach us that as Christians, we have entered into a school where we need to learn. Now, I've said throughout, and I mentioned this last week, and again, I'll highlight it again. You'll notice that throughout this paragraph, Paul is using uh, similar words. Again, we could summarize this way. He's aiming at the mind and not the heart. Uh, at the very beginning, in verse 17, he uses that word mind. And then throughout, uh, this, this aspect of learning and teaching. Uh, well, the, the Christian way, since Jesus walked this earth, has been instruction. We teach. Uh, you learn how to follow Christ through teaching. That's why you're sitting listening to a sermon this morning. That's why you maybe attended a Bible study earlier this morning. Or, or, or why you get together, right? We learn through teaching. And so we see and learn. But we don't just learn facts. Notice what he writes. Verse 20 and 21. Assuming that you learned who? Christ, assuming that you've heard about Christ and were taught in Christ. In other words, Paul says you're, you're not just learning facts, you know, to, to pass some sort of test, but rather you're learning a person, a real person. His name is Jesus. Calvin puts it this way, thinking about the contrast between what Christians learn and how the world learns, he writes this, he whose life differs not from that of an unbeliever has learned nothing of Christ. For the knowledge of Christ cannot be separated from the mortification of sin. That's why Paul emphatically says, look, if you're living in sin, that's not how you learned how to follow Jesus. See, in American Christianity, we've taught people that all you have to do to follow Jesus is pray a prayer or walk an aisle. 
Uh, We've not connected the dots for them that know following Jesus means more than you just cognitively giving lip service to Jesus, but rather your life is transformed. And that's why if you're living in unrepentant sin, we won't bring you into membership because we have no hope that you're going to heaven because your life has not been changed. That doesn't mean that Christians are perfect and we just you know, have life here. No, no, there is evidence in, in the baby Christian and the mature Christian of transformation. Notice here also in verse 21, as we learn that it's all about Jesus, that we learn that the truth is in Jesus. That Jesus is the embodiment of truth. If we want to think about what's true, well, we look nowhere than to Jesus. Uh, The point that Paul is making here, I think, is is particularly clear. uh, That we're learning from Jesus how to follow God. In other words, we have not merely known facts about Jesus, but that we have intimately been known by Jesus and have known him. As Christians, we are intimately getting to know Jesus. That word, know, is the same word they use in the Old Testament about Adam knew his wife Eve, right? It's the same word. There's an intimacy in our relationship with Jesus. Jesus isn't just a friend we're hanging out with. He is our Lord, but we know him personally. One author says it this way, since Christians believe that Christ was a living person whose presence was mediated by the proclamation proclamation and teaching about him, learning Christ involved not only learning about, but also being shaped by the risen Christ, who was the source of a new life as well as a new relationship with God. In other words, When you know Jesus, your life is transformed by this. It's just just like in your personal relationships you have in your life. When you hang around people, you begin to act like them. You begin to talk like them. You begin to think like them. And when you begin to rub shoulders with Jesus every day in your life, you begin to be shaped by him. Our lives are shaped by Christ. The more we know Jesus, the more our lives are shaped into his image. And frankly, this makes perfect sense. This is how Christ has set it all up. Learning Christ means welcoming him and being shaped by his teaching. You think about how absurd it is that we we so often just lip service Jesus. I'm following Jesus but I'm not going to do anything he says. You're not following Jesus then. You're following you. Friend, do you know the risen and ascended Christ? Do you know him personally? Has your life been shaped by him so that it's slowly beginning to look like Jesus? Do people see Jesus in you? Friend, let, let that be a prayer you pray daily. Christians, let that just be every morning. Lord, I pray that people would see you in in my life. Not so that they would praise you, not so that they would be impressed by you, but that so that they would see the ascended and risen Lord affecting change in the lives of people. 
Do you have the same affections that Jesus has? Is your heart attracted to the one singular thing that Jesus' heart was attracted to, namely doing the Father's will? That's a great way to reflect, am I following Jesus? Because Jesus just wants to do what his daddy tells him to do. And is that true of you? That you rise and sleep with a singular focus to do the will of God, to obey him? And to follow wherever he leads. Friend, if you're not a Christian this morning, I I hope you do not miss this point. That becoming a Christian is not merely learning a set of facts about God to pass a test. You can get, frankly, all the answers right on the test and still go to hell. No. Rather, the word Christian points, I think, to the right way forward. The word Christian literally means little Christ. It was not a term of endearment. It was a, look at those little Jesuses running around. And that's what Christians are, right? We are the image of Christ. Our trust in him means that we've been transformed. I want you to notice here also, before we move on, about learning the truth about Jesus, learning that it's all about Jesus. Notice in verse 21 and 24 that Paul bookends this sentence that began in verse 20 and ends in 24 with the word truth. That the truth is about Jesus and found in Jesus. In other words, what he's doing is he's saying, listen, to live in sin is to live in error. He's going to build on that argument in chapter 5 when he says, do not be deceived that if you live in sin... You're not living in Jesus. He he wants to be clear the truth from error. Because so often as Christians, we can kind of get messed up and confused. So we need to be reminded that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the truth. He clarifies life. He embodies all that is true and right. When we come to the school of Christ, we are instructed in the truth. This is why we, and and when I say we, I mean you, um, need to take seriously everything you put in your head that seemingly comes from a Christian teacher. This is why you have a responsibility to test all things and hold on to what is good. This is why we, we mentioned the Bereans, right? Who, who took everything that Paul said, went to the scriptures and tested and says, uh, uh, yeah, he's, he's legit. You see, you want to know how you, you're going to fall away? Here's how it's going to happen. You're going to be a passive listener to the things preached at you and the things that are taught you, and you will slowly begin to drift away from God's word if you do not hold to the truth. This is why we do church in community. I remember I just saw, you know, Facebook posts uh, like, you know, pictures that you posted or things like that. And like uh, memories, uh, something of that sort. And I saw a memory from a number of years ago. And it was like a stack of commentaries. And I was like, yeah, I'm getting ready to preach, you know, and here's what I'm reading. And uh, one just sweet little sister commented on it. You don't need anything but the Bible. And, and I get what she was saying, but she's wrong. Deadly wrong. And he, here's what I mean. I, I don't mean to undermine the authority of Scripture. But, but those commentaries are a community. 
of faithful brothers and sisters over a 2,000 year period that are saying the same thing. In other words, we learn in community, not in isolation, lest we drift into error. And I come up with some fancy interpretation, right? This is why we tell preachers all the time, if you have come up with something new that no one has ever found in the Bible, you're wrong. And stop that silly nonsense, right? So this is what we do. We live in community and we learn in community. Well, we see secondly here in the text that we not only learn truth from error, but that we learn how to abandon our old ways. We learn to abandon our old ways. Look at what Paul says. He He strings together this picture. He says, you put off this old self, you have your mind changed, and you put on the new self. In verses 22 through 24, Paul employs a metaphor of changing clothes to illustrate the Christian life. These words that Paul is using are the same words that we would use to say, hey, change your clothes. The Christian life is about getting a new wardrobe. Getting new clothes, taking off the old clothes, the old ways, the old man, and putting on the new man, the new way. You'll see in your translation footnotes and and the sort, uh, literally to put off your old man or old self. In other words, what he's talking about is the sum total, as F.F. Bruce says, the sum total of your former practices, propensities, and attitudes. That's what we're doing. To put off the old man isn't isn't just to forget about him, but to stop living the way he did. Uh, There is a dichotomy, a a difference, right? There's two men. You're you're dead, right? The last time I checked, when you die, you you don't, like, you're dead, right? Uh, And as Christians, we die. The old man, he's dead, but boy, he likes to hang around. He likes to stick around. You just can't get rid of him. He keeps hanging out. And the old ways of life, need to be put away. Part of the Christian life is continually, daily, kicking that old man to the curb. That's what it is. We are putting away. And what Paul does here, and if you look at what he does, it's so good. Look what he says. He says, put off your old self. He doesn't say put off your sinful self, though that would make sense. He doesn't just say put off your former self. He said, put that old man Away. Old. It's old. In other words, what he's saying is it belongs in the past. Keep it in the past. Don't bring it to the present. And so our old ways are now pursued uh, by living the way God wants us to live. Our old ways lead to death, Paul says. He again is trying to convince us to do this like we need much convincing, but we do. And so he says, look how he convinces us in verse 22. He says, listen, listen. I need you to pay attention to me. I need you to put away your old self. I I need you to do this. Here's why. Because it belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. That's not who you are. That's a former life, he says. That's not you anymore. That's not your identity. He continues to make his case. By saying, not only does it belong to your former manner of life, notice also that it leads to death. It is corrupt through deceitful desires. He he uses some strong language here, doesn't he? In other words, Paul says that if you keep playing around in your old ways, you will die. Sin leads to death. Sin always promises life. 
but it never gives life. It's not meant to give life. It's meant to breed death. He uses the word corrupt. The word corrupt means to, to decay, to, to die. We're not merely broken in our old ways. Our old ways are dead ways. It is the deterioration of the inner life. If something is corrupt, right? If something has been corrupted, it leads to decay and decay leads to ruin, right? Once decay has set into our hearts, it will lead to death. Why would anyone want to return to a life of death? As Christians, it's quite foolish of us to to having tasted the heavenly things and return to our old ways. But notice here also that our former lives were driven, as we considered last week, by deceitful desires. Paul is very intentional. What he's, what he wants us in our minds to be transformed, to, say, to, to kind of step back, if you will, and to look. Wait a minute. I was living life my own way, but in reality, I wasn't living life my way. But I was, I was under someone else's control, and that was my deceitful desires. Our desires are deceitful in the sense that they convince us that, that they're good and right and lead to flourishing. You might remember that movie Sixth Sense, Bruce Willis's character in there throughout the movie. Very confused character, right? He doesn't realize he's dead. That's us in our sin. In our sin, we think everything's good. We are living life to the fullest. But in reality, we are rotting corpses. So Paul says, take off those old ways. And so, brothers and sisters, let this truth remind us of the deception of sin and our need to put away our former living. We don't merely just take off things and run around naked. That'd be weird. Uh, but we need to be transformed. Our, our minds need to be shaped. In other words, and this is why um, I, I might frustrate some of you, um, but it's okay, I, I do that generally. Um, this is why posting the Ten Commandments around doesn't help anybody. You understand that's not the gospel. That's condemnation. You're going to hell. Hey, we just want to let you know. Thank you. Just informing you. No. The gospel isn't just stop doing this. The gospel is do this instead. The gospel is don't do this. Jesus is going to do that anyways for you. It's all good. The other day I saw this one of the most anti-gospel things I've ever heard from a Christian preacher. He, he, I'll paraphrase. It was this. Uh, Obey the first so many chapters in Proverbs and all the promises in the latter half will come to you. Well, I'm just thankful Jesus came and did all the first part of Proverbs for me uh, so that I can receive all the blessings, right? That's not the Christian life. All right, we're getting, off, we're getting off cue here. All right, so we see here thirdly, the third thing we learn is to, to renew our minds. That mind renewal is the means God has employed to transform our lives. The realm of learning Christ is the mind. His focus throughout, as I've already indicated, is the mind that we are all students. 
Now, students at various levels. Some are, are younger students. So, so often we, we look and we say, oh, that guy's older. He must be wise in the faith. Well, sometimes that's not true. Not because of anything in them, just because maybe they came to faith in Christ later in life. Or because maybe they're a little slower in the school. I don't know. Uh, right? Everyone's at different levels. I am surprised often in my conversations with young Christians at the depth of their, of their knowledge of God and, and the love for him. It's incredible. Uh, we're all at different places. There's no point in which we arrive. That's my point. If you're here this morning and you, you consider yourself a Christian, you think you've kind of arrived, well, you're far from the end, right? You maybe just came to a pit stop. There is no point in which we arrive. Rather, we are continually having our minds shaped by the worldview of the Bible. This, of course, happens when we read the scriptures, you know, uh, Preachers are not Bible salesmen, okay? We're not running around town just trying to get you to read your Bible and buy more of them. But rather, we know that it is the means of life. It is as dumb as you standing in front of a light socket not try- and can't turn the light on. You don't know how to flip the switch. Like, it's right there. Flip the switch. The light comes on. Same for your soul. Read the Bible, and I guarantee you it will change you. It will change you. This happens as we read and study the scriptures. This takes place in various contexts, reading and studying the Bible. It happens when you read individually. It happens when you read with other believers. It happens when you attend a Bible study or or when you sit under the preaching of God's word. Our minds are being shaped every day. In fact, God created your brain to be like a little sponge that sucks up information. Every day you're sucking up information, right? I joke with my kids all the time. I'll, we'll watch a commercial or we'll see something. And I'm just like, I just wasted my brain energy on something so dumb. Why did I do that, right? Well, we do, right? Because our minds suck things up. Needless know-how, right? You've been around that person that knows everything. And they like, how did you accumulate all of this useless knowledge, right? But, but we do, right? We suck up. And we process it and we come to conclusions about things. That's how our minds were created. And brothers and sisters, I want you to know that every day, the time you get up, time you go to bed, your mind is being changed. It's being shaped. It's being transformed. It's either being shaped and transformed into the image of this world or it is being shaped and transformed into the image of Jesus. That's really it. There's not like a middle road. It's one or the other. And this is why students can pick up a book and read it, and their whole worldview is transformed in a moment from one silly book. Power of learning, right? We all saw the PBS commercial. There is power in learning. Power in that. You control what, what people learn, and you control a society. Our government figured that out a long, long time ago, and so did the evil one. But mere knowledge about God is not the aim of Bible study. So the aim of your Bible study time, whether it be in those various contexts, isn't just merely data dump, right? Download of information. But rather, the goal of learning Christ is transformation. 
That's what he's saying here. A renewed mind. A renewed, right? New mind. It's, it's a new mind. It's new thinking. It's changed. It's transformed. The goal of learning in the school of Christ is for you to be transformed. And so our aim in our preaching, Sunday school teachers, the aim in your teaching, parents, the aim in your teaching is transformation. When you sit down in the morning or in the evening with your cup of coffee or your tea or whatever, and you open your Bible, the very first prayer out of your mouth is, Lord, change me. Let me be more like this than this. Change me. Change me. Transform me. Shape me. Mold me. Every time you pick up your Bible or, or, or sit under the preaching of God's word, two things happen to you. One or two things. Your heart either becomes harder to the word of God or it is changed by the word of God. Now, earlier I said if you read the Bible, it will change your life. And that's true. In so much that you go to the Bible humbly. See, if you go to the Bible and you're like, man, this isn't going to Or I know this. Or I. You won't be changed by it. This is why you should come humbly. When you gather on the Lord's Day, come humbly. Lord, teach me. I want to learn you. I want to know you. I want to hear you. I want to be shaped by you. But if you come humbly recognizing that you have absorbing bad information all week, and you need a good dose of the truth of a reality check, like you need to like turn off Fox News and start looking at the news from heaven that's way better, it is the conservative news right here. This is what Paul wrote to the church in Rome. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Or as, Paul, or as we heard David in Psalm 51, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. We aim at our minds being transformed. Now, very quickly, before we move on, I, I just want to see the eight, I want to point to the agent of transformation. You'll notice in the text that he says to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, the spirit of your minds, the spirit. Is this a reference to the Holy Spirit or a reference to our spirits? I believe it, it seems to indicate, uh, in the context, seems to be speaking here of our spirit, right? That's not, though, to deny the, the work of the Holy Spirit. Other passages in the Bible point to the reality that the Holy Spirit works, right? So, you know, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, Paul says, for it is he who works in you, both, right? For your good, right? In other words, he's like, everything you put into this, it was all supplied by the power of the Spirit. Or as Paul reminds the church in Corinth, and we all, with unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory and are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Right? So the Spirit is work in us to transform us. That's why we want to begin with prayer. Holy Spirit, illumine my eyes and transform my heart. In the school of Christ, our thinking needs to change. We do not merely learn facts about Jesus, but we learn through the word and the spirit how to live like Jesus. That leads us then to the fourth point that we're considering this morning. Uh, you, in the school of Christ, learn to embrace your new ways in Christ. 
Paul's final point here is that you've taken off, you've derobed, you've taken off your old ways, you've, you've got a whole list of new ways, and you put those new ways on. You, you put on the new self, the new man. You live in light of who you are now in Christ, not what you once were. Just as toddlers need to learn how to dress themselves, so Christians need to learn how to dress themselves. I, I don't want to keep beating this point, but, but maybe I do need to. Um, you, this isn't like some you know, um, independent field study. The Christian life isn't meant to be lived in isolation. You understand that the putting on of new things requires people in your life. You've, you know, maybe you've memorized the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience. Kind. Pretty sure all of those require another person, right? I've been, man, I'm really peaceful with myself. I'm, you know, I really love myself. No. All of that is contextual to a community of people, right? Why? It's really hard to love Christians. I'm just going to tell you that right now. Church people are hard to love. So if you're thinking about being a Christian, let me just, remind, just warn you now. They are some tough people to love. But we're called to love. And just as those toddlers need to be impre- you know, dressed, so, so we need to be clothed. Now in the weeks ahead, we're going to, we're going to look at them, specifically Paul outlines really throughout the rest of the book, what we're to put on. But, but I want you to get in your mind the, the overarching process. In other words, Paul will say this, stop lying, tell the truth. See that? So he doesn't just say like, stop doing that. No, but do this. Stop lying, tell the truth. Or, or he'll say, uh, stop being lazy, work, right? So the exhortation has a positive, put on work, put on uh, hard labor, put those things on as you take off your laziness, right? And so that's what we'll, we'll think more deeply about uh, and carefully about in the weeks of ahead. But, but what I want you to see that as Christians, the way we embrace our new way in Christ is to, to, to really just getting a new wardrobe. We get new clothes to wear. We get new things to put on. The gospel, again, isn't a message of don't do that, but a message of do this instead. We have been created to be holy as God is holy. Notice what he says here in verse 24. As we embrace this new self, he describes it. That the new life in Christ has been created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. In other words, as Paul told us in chapter 2 and verse 10, that we are new creations in Christ. uh, That we've been created. We are His workmanship. Uh, This should give us confident hope that when we put on these clothes, that it's God who created us for them. That God is the one who is, is shaping us into the image of Christ. That we participate in the change process we call sanctification. But ultimately, it's God who's at work in us. God promised that when he is done with us, we will look just like Jesus. And so when you look at the mirror of your own soul and you see your old ways creeping up, you can have hope and confidence that this isn't ultimately what you're going to look like. That one day you will look like Jesus. 
one day your spouse will look like Jesus too if they're a Christian. And you can be all the more encouraged, right? Created new. We embrace who we are now, not what, what we once were. Brothers and sisters, this is, this is who you are. If you have repented of your sins and trusted in Christ, if, if you believed in Christ that he died the death you deserved and lived the life you should have, that, that he was raised from the dead, and you've put your faith in that, in the finished work of Christ, then you have the promise that you will be holy. We've been created after God's image. We are models of God, he says in this text. The likeness of God. He is the standard by which we are being transformed. This is why we heard in the prayer of praise all these great things about God. Because that's who we're being transformed into. When we think about God's justice and His love and His kindness and His righteousness, uh, all of that is who we'll be. Not that we will be God, but that we will be like God. Well, this is why as new Christians, when we are baptized, there's a passage that we heard from Romans 6 quoted. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Right? Raised to newness. You remember that? Right? Raised to newness of life. It's a new life. The image of baptism is just articulating what's going on here. And I'm just going to blow your mind here. Early Christians in the second century were baptized naked to even express that even clearer. Not that we're going to start doing that, but. <laughs> point, this passage was applied, right? And we're like, whoa, uh, we're not going to apply it that way. I want to just return for a moment to an illustration I mentioned earlier about toddlers needing to change their clothes. I'm sure you've ha- if you've had kids or if you have kids or you've seen kids walking around, you wonder, like, who, who dressed you, right? Oftentimes, toddlers, as a means of independence, want to dress themselves, right? And if you've ever watched a toddler trying to take a shirt off or put a shirt on, uh, it never goes well, right? It, it, it's, it's often bad. Shoes are on the wrong feet. Socks don't match. Um, I always like the, the, the kids that want to put on the, the snow boots or the, you know, when it's 100 degrees outside. You know, they're just creative, right? Right? We got to teach them, right? We don't let them continue, right, going through that. We have to teach them how to put shirts on and how to take them off. And brothers and sisters, wouldn't you know that that's one of the purposes of a church? is to help one another get dressed. To help each other, wherever we, no, no matter where we are, young or old, to help each other dress. As a congregation, we build relationships with one another in this church so that we have the relational collateral to help one another get dressed, right? That's why we do that. That's why we spend time with one another outside of this gathering. Why we share meals or, or, or text or, or coffee or, or just life together. Go, go do things together. We spend time with one another in order to help us get dressed in our new identity in Christ. In the school of Christ, we learn to embrace our new identity in Christ by living in new ways after Christ. Now, I didn't get into specifics this morning on on specific new things. We're going to do that in the weeks ahead as Paul lays that out in, in the chapter ahead. But we don't merely abandon our own ways. 
we embrace new ways, a new way of living. I heard a story once of a preacher. He had an interesting experience one Sunday morning. As he was looking through his closet, getting ready to, to head off to the church, he stumbled upon an old pair of Birkenstocks. These were his favorite shoes. He used to wear these shoes everywhere. They fit his feet perfectly. But they began to show their age. And his wife was quite embarrassed when he would wear them. And so uh, he thought she had gotten rid of them. He thought that she had thrown them in the trash. But with amazement that morning, he saw these shoes. And he pulled them out of the closet and he slipped his feet into them. And oh, did they fit comfortably. It was as if these shoes were, were made for his feet. He was right at home. They were comfortable. And it was as if he had never left them behind. They were his old friends. You've really been missed, he said. Well, as he stood there in wonder of his old shoes, he, he began to see the time was passing, and so he had to quickly uh, get ready, ch- change his clothes, get ready for church, and he headed off uh, to the church. Later that morning, as he was preaching to the congregation, he happened to look down at his feet, and with amazement and trepidation and embarrassment, he sees that upon his feet are those old, tattered, worn-out shoes. He's dressed up in a nice suit, and he has these old, worn-out pair of shoes on. Because they fit so perfectly, he had, re- he had forgotten to take them off. They had become a part of his body. It's who he was. It, it, it just felt so comfortable that he didn't even recognize that he had them on. But friend, this is a reminder of us of how easy it is as Christians for us to slip back into sin. Because sin can feel so good, And so natural. And so comfy. Like those old comfy pair of shoes. That we can so easily slip into the old man. Let us then learn in the school of Christ to put away our old ways. To be transformed into the image of Christ by putting on the new man. Let us do that together. Let us do it for the glory of God. And remember that it's all about Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we pray for your glory and our good in Christ that you would change us. We are amazed at your work. I am amazed. We all are in awe that you are making us new. We praise you and thank you for this work. And may you make us more like Christ today and evermore until he returns. In his name we pray. Amen.